it's a particularly great pleasure to welcome uh, Brother Stefan, who's been here for the whole week as an Erasmus visitor. So Erasmus has exchange programs with staff. Now for a week, they've been teaching, learning how to do things. Um, Brother Stefan is a fundamental theologian, which, uh, which is not a word we use so much in, um, in Britain, but it's a word we use in other parts of the world. Not quite philosophy, really, not quite apologetic, but some, it doesn't really knock on to anybody exactly, but it's, it's close to some kind of theology. The fundamental theology and Christian identity is the general name of your care. And he's worked on issues of uh, themes of secular religion, on the nature of faith, the 50 days before. Today, he's turning to a, a fresher interest in religious indifference as a fundamental theological challenge. So we're really, really grateful you're here and a uh, very warm welcome to them. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And good evening, everybody online and here in the room. I'm very excited and uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Karen Kilby, first and foremost, for inviting me and for hosting me and and really taking care of me the whole week. And so I'm very excited. It will be my second lecture in English. The first was yesterday. So I apologize. Apologize a bit for a German accent. You may might think of Ratzinger Rana hearing, hearing me uh, talking. I really apologize. And I'm very excited. And I'm talking about a recent research, uh, research subject and topic I, I try, try to present you. What could be more obvious for a lecture in fundamental theology than to start with a Bible verse? With the one that we always quote. First Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer, apologia, to everyone who asks you to give the reason, logos, for the hope that you have. Apologia and apologetics are the roots of my discipline, fundamental theology. So the roots to give an answer in all the debates of the century, to answer questions regarding critical inquiries about religion, revelation and faith and church. How should that work? Through the logos, through the rationality that is inherent in faith itself. The combination of fides et ratio appears to be a holy alliance. In Germany, at least in recent decades, great intellectual effort has been put forward to present drafts that ultimately seek to establish the rational foundations of the Christian faith. However, it seems to me that in the heat of apologetics and reasoning, one aspect of this Bible first has always been overlooked. What if simply no one demands apologia, <laughs> and no one asks about the hope that supposedly fulfills. So what if the fundamental theological tools are all sharpened, the readiness to give answers there, but no one is there to call for reasons? Don't worry, this is not intended to be a funeral song of theology, but rather a new beginning. In my view, theology is currently entering in a new era, because, as so often this is in his history, it has been given a new task. The question of the rationality of faith 
which remains a long-running issue all the time, is joined by the radical question of the relevance of faith, in addition, and even precedes it. Because if something is irrelevant, it can be rational or irrational, it, it stays and it remains irrelevant. So during classes in Germany at the beautiful University of Bonn, I ask students in very simple terms, what are the four possible answers to the question, do you believe in God? What are the four possible answers? Yes, answers the theist. No, answers the atheist. Maybe, answers the agnostic. And the fourth answer is, I don't care. <laughs> or even more radicalized, I even don't care whether I care <laughs> or not. So the first three answers position themselves towards God and are therefore formally spoken a religious position. The first two even uh, the first two even have a dedicated position. Atheists are characterized by the fact that they are concerned with God and they even take the trouble to postulate his non-existence. For agnostics, the religious question is a familiar one, perhaps even an existential one but they do not or not yet have an answer. Today I'm concerned with the fourth option, which I would like to call religious indifference, or in short, the I don't care option. I'd like to proceed in three steps. Firstly, I invite you to take a brief look at the latest empirical research on religiosity and faith in Germany and also in the UK. Secondly, I will systematically, systematically examine the concept and the phenomenon in more detail, and I try to differentiate indifference. And thirdly, I will look at the fundamental theological challenges of this film. Three months ago, the results of the German so-called church membership survey were published. A study commissioned me jointly uh, commissioned jointly by Catholics and Protestants in Germany. Let's first look at the overall religious situation in Germany. So now, we have 25% Catholics, 22% Protestant, Lutheran is the major part, which makes almost 50% Christians. Then there's a very few number, actually, all in all, of other religions and other denominations, 4%, Muslims, something like that. And then there are 43% without affiliation, religiosos. For comparison, here are the numbers from the latest census from your Office for National Statistics, based on England and Wales. And it just looks alike. So Christians altogether, as in Germany, near to 50%, less than a majority. Actually, some other Jewish, Buddhist, Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, quite few all in all. And then there is no religion, 37%, and giving no answer, supposedly also maybe some of them no religion. So we are more or less the same in Germany and in the UK. And we can discuss afterwards whether my analysis, my uh, results are the same as well. Overall, I think it's comparable. The question now is, where exactly are the religiously indifferent in these statistics? Hopefully, you might not think I make a serious mistake 
and infer personal religiosity from an institutional membership. No. Let's look at a closer look to it. 13% of Catholics, of Catholics say, faith means nothing to me, I don't need religion. Catholics. Just as many say, for me, religious questions are meaningless and don't matter. For another 26% of Catholics, religion is rather meaningless. So what I call religious indifference is what we find here among church members, religious indifference. Conversely, non-affiliated people, that means those who have left the religious community or have never belonged to one, are not automatically or religiously indifferent. 18% of non-affiliated to non-religion or denominations say religion is for me rather not meaningless. While another five say religion is not at all meaningless for me. That makes a total of 23%. So there are non-affiliated but religious people. But they don't seem to be the, mass, the vast majority. According to the study, 77% of people without any religious affiliation, hence, seem really not to care about religion. Previous studies have shown that religion actually plays no role in the lives of more than two-thirds of the non-affiliated people. Both numbers now are increasing in Germany and in the UK, the proportion of people without any religious affiliation. And among these, without relation, uh, without affiliation, also the proportion of those who are religiously indifferent. So the first conclusion we can draw is there are non-affiliated religious people and there are religiously indifferent church members. But the study also shows, and I deliberately articulate in a very basic way, in a very basic way, belonging to a religion significantly increases the probability that a person is religious. Belonging to a religion increases the probability a person is religious. At least, why, but why do I emphasize this? I emphasize this because the long and hotly debated thesis that in, that in reality there is no secularization at all, but it's privatization, does not seem to be correct. Belonging to religion, significantly means to be religious, at least following the research of this membership show. I guess you might be surprised a bit about all the numbers in my lecture. Isn't he a systematic theologian at all? Why does he care about numbers? As a fundamental theologian, I'm really interested in actually existing religious and secular phenomena and their transformation. And I'm interested in the question of Christian identities, namely the question of what it means um, and how it presents itself to be religious or religiously indifferent under today's conditions. To this end, I would like to see dialogue with sociology, psychology, and human science. Hence, the question, how many religiously indifferent people are there exactly? The church membership show, survey shows that 55% of Germans say, for me, religious questions are meaningless and unimportant. On the other hand, you can find a graphic in this survey 
where the group of indifference is es estimated only 14%. How is this to be understood now? And what is correct? This is exactly where, in addition to numbers, the interpretation of the numbers, the underlying terminology and concepts come into play, and with it, systematic theology. The conclusion I have just presented that religious affiliation and religiosity, religiosity are closely related, which you have might always bought from me now, maybe, was led to a theological vibrant debate soon after the study was published. So the numbers alone are not enough. Of really quoting Winston Churchill, the only statistics you can trust are the ones you have interpreted numerically yourself. That's why I go and move to my second step, really to the terms to differentiate indifference. I will turn from empiricism now to hermeneutics to the second step and differentiate the phenomenon indifference in three sub-steps. I start with a long overdue clarification of terms, then describe the struggle for this field and come to the question of whether the I don't care option itself is relative. So the clarification of terms. Indifference can mean firstly that something is epistemically or logically, logically indistinguishable or undecidable. In theology, in theology, we have often to deal with issues where we cannot establish clarity, which are ambiguous but we have not always been able to deal with ambiguities very well. In the Catholic tradition, there is the fighting concept of indifferentism as it is, list, as it is listed among numerous other, other heresies in the famous Syllabus Errorum of Pius IX. Indifferentism, note the ism. According to the Pope, I quote, devious people claim that it makes no difference what religion one has. These people do not recognize the difference between true and false religion. So a space of indifference, identity, and truth opens up here, but I don't want to enter it. Why? Because in all these cases, the point is that an object, something, is indifferent, is indistinguishable, but not a person. Secondly, Indifference can mean that a person is undecided, that it has not or not yet made a decision in order in one direction or the other. This can be, be due to different reasons, either because he or she thinks that the matter is undecidable, see above, or because he or she cannot decide or does not want to decide. Here, according to my typology, typology and from a, from a religious point of view, we are more in the area of agnosticism attitude. And unfortunately, that always leads to confusions and mix-ups. That's why it's important to clarify the terms. And agnostic, be undecided in this sense, but that does not mean that religion is irrelevant for him or her. Finally, indifference can be as subjective unaffectedness or disinterest. I don't care much about religion or faith, and I have no opinion on it. 
Today, I'm particularly focusing on this phenomenon, religious indifference. But what is the benefit now of my differentiation? It helps us to understand why confusing results sometimes emerge in discussions or even in empirical studies. People who are undecided can be actually extremely interested in religion. You think about God all night long, but you still don't know whether he exists or not. So, to sum up, objective undecidability and subjective indecision do not necessarily mean indifference as disinterest. That's important. Take a step closer to the phenomenon of indifference and ask, what would actually be the greatest possible distance from a religious position? In my opinion, this would not be atheism or agnosticism, but religious indifference. Now, tonight, I would like to save us the tedious discussion of what religion and having a religion actually means, because we don't know it. But since we still cannot agree on what exactly religiosity or religion are in scientific dialogue, we unfortunately know, know even less about the opposite of it. Therefore, my somewhat unscientific working hypothesis for religious indifference is simply having nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with religion. But if religious indifference has absolute nothing to do with religion, nothing in favor, nothing against it, why do I actually care about it as a theologian? Where does my passionate interest for disinterest come from? Let's, took a Let's take a closer look. Religious indifference is a non-phenomenon. It describes people who have no relationship to religion or religiosity. Ask about religious indifference is structurally similar to looking at the group of, let's say, non-dog owners. You can't see in the face of a non-dog owner that he has no dog. There is nothing that all non-dog owners in the world have in common, apart from not having a dog. There's no place where they meet regularly and you can ask them, where's the place where they meet? And they won't publish a magazine, My Life Without a Dog. You see? <laughs> Now, and when I ask as a researcher people who don't care about dogs at all, it's very difficult for me to find out whether they rather don't care about German shepherds or beagles. <laughs> and that's the situation of a, of a religious researcher, researcher in, the, in the point of religious indifference. Please excuse the ironic comparison, but that's structurally the case in indifference. I myself maintain that religious indifference is nevertheless at least a borderline phenomenon in the religious field. And I now understand religious field in the sense of Pierre Bourdieu's theory of social fields. With Bourdieu, one can develop the idea of religious fields, of a field that is structured and controlled by a capital faith. A field that is animated by competing actors and whose boundaries are disputed. Atheists, for example, consciously do not enter this field of religion. But sometimes they compete with the religious players, perhaps want to lure others out of the field or 
even move the entire field to another direction and thus refer negatively to the religious sphere. Religious indifference now doesn't do it. It would therefore be a non-religious position that does not relate to the religious field. But paradoxically, it's still related to the religious field. Why? Because it is viewed, measured from the religious field as its no man's land. The German ethnologist Johannes Gluck, from whom I take, take this framework, theoretical framework referring, referring to Bourdieu, suggests to construct indifference via an indirect relationship to religion. The religiously indifferent person does not relate to the religious field, but is related because other people, like us, for example, find it somehow surprising, remarkable, laudable, or even impossible that somebody is not interested in religion. Indifferent people rarely describe themselves as indifferent, but they are described as such by people who have something to do with religion. But this too is a field reference in which so-called field effects arise, as we will shortly see in some examples of field effects of the one who don't relate. According to Bourdieu, research into religion, like any other research, is never neutral. Bourdieu does not accept the scientific theoretical alternative of biased or non-biased approach and assumes that every research perspective and every interest in knowledge blurs the result and leaves its traces in the field. So if you're researching, you leave traces in the field. This is true as well for the supposed impartiality of the non-believing religious researcher and of course also for my theological considerations. So how exactly do field effects work when researching the group of religiously indifferent people? Even in the so-called secular age, for many people, religion is still a topic that generally at last, at least had some kind of theme, some kind of attitudes with it. But this opens up a lot of space for interpretation with regard to those who, for whom this does not seem to be the case. The religiously indifferent so become an embattled mass. Who is this indifferent person? And now, three field observations on this. Sociologist Steve Proust, you might know him, is an ardent critic of religion. He sees in the phenomenon of religious indifference a confirmation of the secularization thesis and its absolute final stage. So indifference is the final stage of what's going on in secularization. The end of the secularization trajectories will be total indifference tabula rasa. I quote, Bruce, in as far as I can imagine an endpoint, it would not be self-conscious irreligion, we have to care too much about religion to be religious. It would be widespread indifference and religious ideas being no more common that would be the case if all minds were white planned and people began from scratch to think new about the world in their places. So religious indifference is constructed here in the fields as the maximum counter counterposition to religion and it is booked 
as even radicalized atheism. Proust almost seems a little envious, envious to those who, unlike him as a sociologist of religion, no longer have to worry about this phenomenon. So, disappear not with radical atheism, but with indifference. So this is one construction. On the other hand, religious indifference is sometimes viewed positively from a religious perspective, because indifferent at least does not mean against. Some religious people even sense something like religious springtime in the phenomenon of indifference and regard this group as potentially open because they're not against. You see, they are believers on standby. Yeah? And when a generation matures, and it's the case in Germany and the UK, when a generation matures that is re religiously completely uninformed and unformed, and has no position nor negative experience with the church, then new opportunities arise. And now, if we just make the right pastoral offer, we'll get that. So this is also a field construction. Indifference here is credited to the account of poten poten potentially religious seekers. Incidentally, the church membership survey gives little reason to justify the hope that too many outsiders of the religion scenes are waiting room for religious offer, by the way. But you notice the indifferent as a massa incognita can be related to the religious field or drawn into one's own field in very different ways. However, there is a third attribution that can be found in relation to the indifferent. Thereby religious and atheists now suddenly agree. If we expand the field of indifference beyond the explicitly religious to ethical questions, for example, we sometimes encounter culturally pessimistic assumptions that humanity generally has become very indifferent nowadays. So religious indifference is just one field of indifference people nowadays. In the 80s, we find a real indifference scolding when the attitude of indifferentism, you note again the ism, is described, I quote, indifference as a bored, unconscious nihilism that only naturalistically continues itself, a mode of human being that must be described as deficient. Similar thoughts can also be found on the part of atheist humanists, for whom reflection and searching for meaning and values are seem to be extremely important. So Johannes Quack makes a striking observation, it's quite funny, that Pope Benedict and representatives of atheistic humanistic associations are very much in agreement that in their fear of general indifference and relativism of values. So now if the field is big, if indifference goes beyond the religious, the reins close again. What I want to show you is those who do not position themselves, they are positioned. You see? Those who do not position themselves, not at all, they don't care, they are positioned. In the empirical approach, such as the church membership survey, there is also another field effect. According to my definition, 
religiously indifferent people would hardly talk about religion without being asked and would not describe themselves as religiously indifferent. So when asked, 55% of the population in Germany say that religion and faith played no role for their lives. But if you, if you continue asking all the time, if you ask them, you can usually measure some kind of attitude. And in the UK and in Germany, at the moment, it's more of a defensive, defensive. How do we evaluate that now? If you continue asking, you will find something. But how can we evaluate that now? Is that still indifferent or is that already anti-religious? The church membership survey subsumes under indifferent above all those who are completely neutral and therefore only comes to the aforementioned 14%. It's just a matter of, of definition. Indifferent are really there without any, without any. Those who respond rather negatively when asked are referred to be secularly open, uh, closed, sorry, while those who respond rather positively are referred as secularly open people. Again, this is not a criticism on the survey. In order to generate results, you really have to establish categories and you have to construct fields. So what the, what the, what the survey brings out is just what you give in, as in, 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 in regarding terms. The idea of absolute religious indifference as the end point of a secularization process like Proust's thesis is, in my opinion, a fiction. There is probably no person in this world who is so unaffected by religion that he or she has not heard at, of it at some point, who does not react positively or negatively when asked, who does not have anyone in his circle of friends who is religious and whose religiosity he or she finds okay or, or not okay. So the situation that Steve Proust describes does not yet exist in Europe either. In my opinion, there is also a lot to be said for the fact that late modern people are not inclined to absolute indifferentism and are not completely disinterested in anything. I even tend to assume the opposite, that people are interested in a lot of things, just not in religion in the first place. So in this sense, we could speak of relative indifference. i just give you an example. If people had the free choice at the university, at large as Spiram University, to hear a public lecture on Thursday evening, let's say on environmental sustainability, or in big data, or in medieval history, or in modern English literature, at the same time, then the last thing a religiously indifferent person would choose to listen here to my lecture and to hear what I think about him. Religious, relative religious indifference also means, conversely, that it's also not impossible that one or the other will come to a theological or to visit Durham Cathedral and light a candle because so many people do it and it seems religiously harmless. Of course, among the supposedly more than 50% religiously indifferent people in our societies, not all of them are equally indifferent 
just as not all believers are equally believers. My Swiss colleague, Veronica Hoffmann, recently suggested that religious immigrants actually should not be understood as a position. Someone is religiously immigrant, just as somebody is a religious believer, but as a modality, namely as the mood, the mode that something is not important to me. This modality would then even allow, beyond my initial four-way uh, categorization, that there are indifferent believers, which there are, indifferent agnostics, and indifferent atheists, which means I'm an atheist, but my atheism doesn't really matter to me. Understand? Relative position. Understood in this way, religious indifference would not be a separate fourth position, but rather the smallest possible commitment you can make, or even the slightest, slightest resistance you can make against religion. However, the smallest commitment and the least resistance in religion are determined by society and culture. Johannes Quack again presented an interesting qualitative comparative survey. They describes in detail a 27-year-old German woman called Marion and an Indian young man about the same age called Prakash, who describes himself as a Hindu. Quack, the researcher, now himself would classify both as equally religiously indifferent. In repeated long conversations with both of them, it becomes apparent to him that for both religion and religiosity don't really matter in their lives. We can probably imagine what this looks like for Marion who lives in Eastern Europe. She was baptized, but she left the church and stays away from anything religious and is saying, I guess I'm simply not religious. The religious indifference of Prakash, the Indian young guy, now is much more interesting for us. Prakash, being religious indifferent, has never in his life eaten cow or buffalo meat because he says, something keep mocking, nagging me in the head that I shouldn't, and my grandmother would He reports that he occasionally visits important, very important temples with his family, yet he's not at all sure about the names of the places, and it's very funny because he confuses the names all the time. He doesn't know where he is. After Prakash's grandfather's death, he completely shaved his head according to ancient Hindu tradition. His brother had rebelled against this and started a family dispute. But Prakash, being indifferent, says, it don't mind, so I did it. It, it, it didn't mind, so I did it. So it's no problem for him to, to do this religious traditions because he doesn't mind. When asked, he says, Religion is pointless to me, completely pointless. And he doesn't worry about this. Then asked an interesting question in this, in this survey, asked whether he has ever had a religious experience, he replies, what does he reply? At least I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> At least I can't remember. And the next sentence, he also confesses, or the, next, the same page, I'm born as a Hindu, so I am a Hindu, so that's it. Indifference, now understood as a form of 
smallest possible commitment and also least resistance is contextually dependent. Dependent on what Charles Taylor calls the default option, a kind of religious sea level of a society where we are and where we don't engage, but also don't uh, resist if we are indifferent. What we can see again in Prakash's example regarding our non-phenomenon, religious indifference prefers to fly under the radar of religious and anti-religious attitudes and is therefore so difficult to detect. It's probably not absolute, but relative. Relative to the environment, but above all relative indifferent. And relative. So, I will close with five uh, points, five, five uh, observations, which uh, refer to a fundamental theological a challenge of all that what I've said, but also um, not only of challenge, but also of um, opportunities because I'm a bit optimistic person. So what can we learn from this? According to my thesis, we are dealing with a non-religious phenomenon with an indirect connection to a religious field. Fundamental theology as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of theology, as it is often called in Germany, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of theology, has a genuine interest in this field, and it's first and foremost a learning field. What is new about this phenomenon is that it questions fundamental theology insofar as it does not question it. To put it in the language of apologetics, there is no declared opponent, nobody to discuss with. It is not a new version of criticism of religion. There is no one who demands to give the reason of the hope that you have to remember the one Peter. Fundamental theology was not at all prepared for this. Looking back to the history of my discipline, you one can say that the study, for example, of Kant, Feuerbach, Nietzsche, and Co. has significantly advanced fundamental theology. So I suspect that it will be the same case with the study of religious indifference, even if it still seems elusive. And I'm curious to see whether, to see where it will lead theology. Let's turn back to the differentiation we gain by the mere analysis of the term. The semantic ambiguity of the term difference, indifference stimulates further reflections and could be productive within theology. So I want to speak on that again. Firstly, it should be noted that there are numerous questions in theology that are undecidable, that must be left open and kept open, and that offer freedom for interpretations and positions. This leads to epistemic modesty, but also to a pleading for considering difficult questions in theology, for example, in the doctrine of God or of praise or something, as undecidable, perhaps, to a certain term, but not as unimportant. Undecidable, but not unimportant. Secondly, it is sometimes advisable to be consciously in undecided. It's advisable to be undecided. There are good examples in our history how the Roman church in earlier century simply did not decide on certain questions. 
on so-called dubia, and sometimes reacted from the Vatican or from Rome to sensitive issues with the formal nihil esse respondendi. In the late 17th century Church of England, there was a great debate of adiaphora, the Greek term, adiaphora or latitudinarism. So there was the conviction that, that religion is more about the moral and the religious state of an individual soul, and that such questions as liturgy or church organization or things like that are indifferent. So they are not important because something, something else is very important. You can deal with it as you like, as long as you are faithful in the more important things of faith, which are not indifferent, but make a difference. So I'd like to point out this aspect of my topic, that there is not only the logical connection between indifference and disinterest, at the one hand, but also the liaison between indifference and tolerance. Tolerance of ambiguity, at the other hand. Thirdly, what would be needed is a reflection on absolute and relative indifference from regard, with regard to theology itself. I openly confess here, there are discourses within the large spectrum of theological research that I personally don't care about. Fortunately, because that's the only way I know what my topics are. <laughs> but does this only apply subjectively? Pope Francis writes in Evangelii Gaudium, number 36, all revealed truths derive from the same divine source and are to be believed with the same faith. Yet, some of them are more important for giving direct expressions to the heart of the gospel. So Pope Francis here alludes on the hierarchy of truths. Declaring something to be relatively indifferent draws attention to those questions of faith that make the difference. In controversial, controversial theolo theological issues, I'm thinking of the field of ecumenism, for example. Ecumenism, it would be a, leg a legitimate strategy to say, we have a strong disagreement here, strong disagreement, on an issue that is relatively subordinate overall to other issues. Here the two threads of rationality and relevance come together again. Is every theological debate equally important and for whom? Don't worry, don't presume to wake this up tonight, but it would be an interesting joint undertaking to tackle something like a theological inventory control, theological inventory. Uh, Control, at least for systematic theology, really to discuss what is different and what is what is important, what is in, indifferent, what what is what where can we have different options or different positions, and in which way and in which context. These stretchy derivations from the productive concept of indifference. I'm, of course, only taking an internal theological perspective and distracting from the real problem which is here around in this room. I'm only distracting from the real problem. But this is obvious. And I would like to discuss it with you. From a theological point of view, can there be even exist something <laughs> like religious indifference? After all, human beings are religious, aren't they? So what about the desiderium naturale, that the natural human desire 
forgot. There are strategies for dealing with the emerging dilemma that expand the concept of religion so much, by definition, that there can be no religiously indifferent people. Because any human interest that, that transcends itself in any way is considered as religious and points to the unaware striving for God. So the enthusiasm for football or passionate cooking is seen as a religious thing. I don't really think it's a very convincing concept, and I advocate a somewhat narrow definition of religion. In any case, I see a lot of work ahead on a core issue of Christian anthropology. And it's becoming increasingly clear to me that we also need to reread cherished theologies, like Karl Rahmer's unthematic anonymous reference to God, as well as Tillich's ultimate, ultimate concern. I'd just like to use a short example to illustrate how much religious indifference collides with the theological self-image of the Second Vatican Council. In Gaudium et Spes, a document that we would probably be reluctant to describe as outdated, it says in number 41, I quote, the church truly knows that only God whom she serves meets the deepest longings of the human heart, which is never fully satisfied by what this world has to offer. She also knows that man is constantly worked upon the, by God's spirit and therefore can never be altogether indifferent, nunquam indifferent to the problems of religion. The experience of past ages pro proves this as do numerous indications in our own times. Our own times here are the 60s. What does that mean, given the finding that the majority of people will answer 2024, but I don't really care about that? You notice that I would like to advocate for a cohesion between human self-description and theological anthropology. On the one hand, theologically, I'm really not ready to give up the desiderium naturale, not at all. But at the other hand, I don't want to have to pursue fundamental theology apart from empirical data. I don't yet know how to solve this problem, but I do know that a general challenge is to connect empirical, systematic theological realities for the sake of rationality of relevance and accountability of faith. Finally, and ultimately, I cannot agree with the sometimes expressed pessimistic complaint that people nowadays, especially young people, are no longer interested in anything at all. There are many things of interest questions of justice and of a flourishing life, questions of how we can stop climate change and wars and deal with the multiple crises of this time. It's up to theology to get drawn and involved into these debates. And the university is the best place for it, I think, in Bonn or in Germany. The importance and legitimacy of theology lies in the contribution, in, in contributing its historical, 
hermeneutical and practical competence, describing and analyzing religious and non-religious fields, as I tried, and, being, and bringing in the perspective of Christian religious tradition. It seems important to me not to consider every answer to big question to big questions as religious already from the outset. The fundamental theological demonstratio religiosa would not consist in the proof, see, basically, you are always seeking for God. Fundamental theology would rather dare to bring Christian concepts of meaning that have been tried and tested over a long time into the conversation and to make it plausible why the question of God is at least worth asking and why its affirmation is an option. We would also be able to justify, and this remains theological core business, why it would not be unreasonable, why it not, would not be unreasonable to place questions of the people of this time in a divine perspective. In short, Fundamental theology would be able to demonstrate the rationality of and relevance of Christian faith under contemporary conditions. Would we succeed in that? In any case, for me, it would not be independent. Thank you very much. <laughs>